we'll chat. We, um, we, are, we are dealing with topics on the second Sunday night of the month that quite frankly, uh, the congregation has asked us to address. These are not things that, uh, that we are coming up with ourselves. We, we hear, uh, we, we want to address things that you have questions about, uh, who we are, the why of what we do. Uh, sometimes it'll be more of a, how does the church address this current event kind of thing. And um, we just want to be a help to you by answering questions that you have. That's all I can tell you. And uh, one of the questions that came to you is the very reason why I put Job off till February. Uh, one of the key questions that came from you is why I put Job off to February. We're taking uh, just two or three Sunday mornings in January to, to reemphasize, um, uh, I get asked a lot, why discipleship, Pastor Tim? That word's used a lot around here. And we've been doing it for quite some time. And I think everyone's fine with it. Everyone agrees with it. But why is it such a thing? Why is it such a thing? And, um, and then everyone wonders, where, where, where are they on the, the map of discipleship? Am I doing it? Am I doing it right? How long do I do this? I've tried and tried and tried, and I'm, I'm failing. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job with it. How do we address all those questions that you have in keeping everybody on the same page? Um, so I want to let you know, I think this is a, it's a necessary conversation tonight. It's good. It's healthy. But it's not going to be the last one because it takes a long time for uh, this to be uh, a culture of a local church. It takes a long time for every soul in the church to consider what we talked about this morning, what the first things really are. How do I truly demonstrate the verbal love that I have for my Savior in a practical way? And according to Jesus, he likes to be talked about. That's all I can tell you. You shall be my witnesses. You will be my spokespeople for the very reason I came to earth. Now I'm going to go. And again, his last words are first command. Apparently, according to the text, that's how we know that we really and truly love Jesus. Not just here, but here. And then it comes out here. A lot of us struggle with personal evangelism because we... We don't have the gift of gab, or we don't feel like we have the gift of evangelism. And that just pretty much describes the, mo the majority of every church, including ours. Right? A lot of people think that disciple-making is just speaking about Jesus. We're going to learn next Sunday morning and the Sunday morning after that, that it's more than that. But it certainly includes that. Okay? Um, Pastor Kent in the office this week was describing... And we, all, we, we like to talk about this among us. Is all the, remember, remember the first 35 minutes of my message this morning, I was describing all the wonderful things that my parents involved me with in, in the church and all those good and healthy things that we did as kids with them and we did in church, those three or four services a week. None of that goes away. I think it's part and parcel of what disciple-making is. And we, we talk about that kind of like being the shaft of a long spear, Right? Those are necessary things. But the tip of the spear is the disciple-making. The tip of the spear is, is um, a tip that all of us should have on our spears, that we should have collectively on our spear as a church. Um, the whole goal is to make disciples and be spiritually reproductive as a people. Okay? All of us want to be that. We just want to continually rehash this so everyone knows what that is. Because disciple-making is not a program. Okay? Disciple-making is a culture. It's what the church is. And I've told you before, uh, a handful of years ago, um, I don't know if you remember when Pastor Huffstetler was here, uh, heading over GLBI with us. 
And he walked into my office one day, and he had a book in his hands. And he put it on my desk. He said, I wonder, have you ever read this book? And I was like, no, I don't think I've ever read that book. And um, it was a book called The Trellis and the Vine. It was written by two conservative Anglican men, uh, Colin and Marshall. And he said, are you sure you haven't read this book? I said, no, I've never read this book. Uh, never seen it before, never heard of these authors. He goes, I said, why? He goes, because you're actually trying to do what they talk about in this book. I was like, well, that's fascinating. What is that? <laughs> and he goes, disciple making. And that was refreshing to me because I really hadn't read many books on what disciple making is, quite frankly. Read your Bible, you have your pastoral experience and you have all your friends and your buddies in ministry and you're trying to figure this out. So the next time I had a trip, I took that with me, and I tried to read a book a trip. This last trip, I had a very, very thick book, so I didn't make it all the way through. It is very detailed. I'm going to tell you, I nodded off a few times on the plane <laughs> reading this very thick digital book. Um, but I read it, came, and as I was reading through it, it just resonated with my heart. It's like, wow, because when you're, when you're doing this disciple-making thing and you're trying to create a culture in your church, you kind of feel really odd because you wonder if you're doing the right thing or not. And all you're trying to do is give hands and feet to the words of Jesus that we studied this morning and we'll study next week. And when you look around to find churches that are trying to maintenance and sharpen the tip of that spear all the time and they don't, they, they, they preach those words but it's not something that's necessarily been part of their individual practice as a pastor it just takes a long time to figure out. So I read that book. It was like, okay, that gives me a little bit more confidence. Praise God. Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's keep going. How do we teach every soul in the church spiritual reproductivity? And that be the tip of their spiritual spear, each person. Right? How do we do that? And then how do we make that, uh, I use the metaphor of a clothesline, right? We all live near Amish country, and you drive through Amish country, and it seems like everything and everything that can be dried out, they can put on a clothesline. Whether it's the tip of the spear, whatever metaphor you want to use, whether it's a clothesline, how do we make everything we do here as a church, individually and collectively, about spiritual reproduction? Right. Putting our mouths and our hearts and our hands and our feet and our feet to to what Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. How does, how does Sunday school become part of that? How does youth group and college and career, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, and really, quite frankly, folks, everything's about that. If we can bring everything to the conclusion of, okay, now, how do we apply this to our lives so that we can minister to each other and still take the gospel to our community? We learn together so that we can win together, so that those who are one together, we can train together. Did you catch that? I think we get it. And we're just trying to do practically ways to do it because there, there's, there's not a lot of places out there that have hands and feet to this. They preach it, right? They have what they call discipleship, uh, but really is they're just a lot of small group Bible studies. This is discipleship, small group, small group, small group. And I'm like, that's an aspect of it. And it's a necessary aspect of it. Just like we talked about this morning. But then all those churches, they'll have a little bit of success with that, and then it comes to that plateau and decline again. What's the tip of the spear? Right? How, do we, how do we demonstrate our love for our Savior that we, I know we have? How do we do that practically? So I would just like to talk uh, let these guys talk tonight um, because uh, three out of the four of us practically grew up here. Pastor Kent grew up around here and has been here a very, very long time. What have they learned about what it is over time and why has it been helpful to them? And then we would like to take a couple questions from you folks. But at the end of the evening, we would like to introduce to you something that we've been talking about for a long time, and that's another necessary um, resource in our disciple-making material that we, that we have set up to study together. I think it would be very helpful to all of us in time.
Okay? Uh, now and in time. So, I'm just going to let these guys um, talk about what their heartbeat is for disciple making and why and how that's uh, helped them maintain a center personally and then pastorally. Um, but if you're confused, if you're discouraged, if you, why isn't this working for me? Express your concern, express your frustration and do it as a family. One of the most beautiful times of learning for me uh, I had with uh, Miriam Acker who came to our last disciple-making advanced seminar and just poured out her heart of discouragement and hurt in her disciple-making efforts. And yet I know what she's continuing to do and persevere uh, as a, a daughter in the faith in disciple-making in her own church. We learn a lot from the sharing of discouragement. Jesus never said it would be a bed of roses that we would lie, right? We don't see ease anywhere in the New Testament in disciple-making efforts. As a matter of fact, if a church is going to maintenance the tip of that spear personally and collectively, like, Satan hates that. He just hates that. I, I really feel that, you know, a, a church that's just going through the motions, as we described for the first half hour this morning, I don't know that Satan pays much mind to them. Because if you're not going to be about the tip of the spear, it's like, eh, to him. I got you where I want you. God still does it work because we're handling his word and fellowshipping and doing all those things. But again, if you're going to be the tip of that spear, it's rough. Right? It's, it's the most glorious and the most agonizing life anyone could live on this earth. Okay? Uh, but it's good. It's necessary. And that's why we're here anyway. I mean, that's, that's the sole reason why we're here. That's the sole reason why you have your job, where you have your job why you live where you live, right? Why you function where you function. And then it gives us a huge personal prayer burden. Lord, this is where I work, this is where I exercise, this is where I shop, this is where I go. I'm assuming you put me here even though I prayerfully chose to be here. And you gave me an eternal why as to where I'm at and what I'm doing. Please, God, give me the opportunity to be a witness. Right? And then when you have the opportunity to see someone come to know Christ, it's also your obligation, it's our obligation to equip you to train the person that you win to Christ. And that's what we'll see next week in Matthew 28 again. Disciple-making is a two-edged, has two sides to it. It's the winning and the training teaching them to observe all things, right? We equip you to make sure that you can train somebody for the rest of their life through the word of God after you have the opportunity to win them to Christ. That's for us, Ephesians 4 as well. We're equipping you to do that work of the ministry. So it really is life on life for life. We're going to show that biblical theology next Sunday morning, okay? It's slow, it's hard, it's worth it, but that is the perpetuity of the church. That is the duration of the church. That is where the lampstand will stay. Okay? And uh, so I'm just going to let these guys explain a little bit how this whole thing's transformed their thinking and their talking and their acting. We'll start with Pastor Kent and then Pastor Steve, Pastor Mike. And uh, well, you guys are all right if they just stop us and ask a question and... and Express frustration. I, I don't take any questions. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Mike takes all the questions. No, I'm kidding. And I'll just answer like five minutes at a time. You'll yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> no. I think there's those of us who work well on our feet and those of us who don't. And I'm one of those who don't so much. So, uh, But anyway, I really thank Pastor for giving us the opportunity to just share a little bit about um, the disciple making and the epiphany uh, that's a word that's clarifying moment uh, 
And he used two words, he used personally, collectively, and I think that really accurately um, reflects the impact that really being confronted with my own failure, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't know if, if failure is, is an intentional reality, then I don't think it was a failure. It was just something that, sort of an aha moment that personally, uh, as, we, as he was unpacking this, as we were unpacking it together, really trying to understand um, that haunting idea that why isn't our church growing or you know, the movement that we grew up in. We were trying to do so many things right and we're very busy, as he mentioned, and yet things weren't progressing, things weren't moving forward. And, uh, and as we really began to exercise our hearts and minds in this question of, well, what... what in my mind, what really frustrates me as a Christian or as a man or even as a church family? And as I began to answer that question in my life personally, it wasn't that, oh my word, you know, my friends aren't coming to know Jesus or that I wasn't being the kind of impact in the lives of people. There were all other kinds of concerns that were fundamentally frustrating me. And, and I think really what helped me to understand, well, what was the culture of my life, what was the culture of our church, was really identifying what frustrated me, and what I really, you know, kind of just sort of uh, let go. And I think at least what Matthew 28 instructs, and Acts 1, and the New Testament instructs, that, that one of the things we ought to be frustrated about is that people are dying and on their way to hell. And that, that can't just be something that's spoken about periodically at, at revival services, but it's got to be something that really means something in my life. Um, and I'm not good at it. <clears throat> you know that, you know, that's not my strength. Uh, my, my strengths lie in other places. <clears throat> um, but being challenged by this truth, uh, and then pastors simply helping us to realize, well, just begin to pray. Uh, so it's for me personally, it's revolutionized the way I pray. Uh, it's given me a lot less internal focus and a lot more outward focus, and I think that's thing that's spiritually beneficial. Uh, it revolutionized the way Gloria and I parented our kids. Uh, there was certainly a path we were taking, and and believing that. Um, <clears throat> couple things that this was going to go on for life right that was huge we weren't just going to you know drop kick them out of the house and say so long and kind of wipe our brow and say Phew, glad that's over with or whatever my you know my boys hopefully would laugh about that but but the reality that I've got a, in other words it, it bears some real um, uh, critical pressure good pressure in my life uh, so it revolutionized that aspect of who we were as a couple as a family um, uh, uh, to, to be more conscious of the place that God's put us, the time that God's put us in this place. Uh, it made us a lot more conscious of what's going on in our, in our, in our community and, and, and not having sort of this us-against-them mentality, but, hey, you know what? We're all here together, and we're running shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder with people who need Christ and, and being much more aware of that. Um, it changed that as well for me. Uh, it really changed the way I preach. I preach a lot differently. I don't know if you know the, about uh, how it's impacted that reality. It changed the way um, I teach. You know the, what's significant about discipleship material that we have, right? Discipleship material is a dime a dozen, and ours is one of those dozens. But what's very different is the question, do we know this information well enough that I can teach it to somebody else? And that's a burden. That means I've got to really know this information. You know what I mean? It really ramps up uh, uh, the requirement for me as a man to know the scriptures. And, and not just know it academically, but to locate it in the culture that I live in here in Mentor. And to understand what all the challenges and pressures you have and I have as we're discipling each other and our unsafe friends have, and, and really do the hard work of, of, I don't know, categorizing, having answers, and, and, and encouraging. So personally, it's just over, you know, it's, it's done a lot in my life. Um, 
And uh, I, I see it as critical. You know, when you ask, again, the culture of the church as a pastor, I really want a steward or elder oversee that, that what we're frustrated about on a week-to-week basis as a family is that there are people in the city of Menor who are dying and going to hell. And, and, and we've got to get out there somehow and figure this out. That's what I want us to be frustrated about. That's what I want to be pulsating through the life and blood of this church. And that's when we get together, and that's what we're weeping over, we're rejoicing over. You know, uh, it's not whatever the political winds are anymore. It's not whatever the Browns are doing, thankfully, anymore. It's not, you know, whatever other item could control a culture. Uh, we don't want that. We want to protect it with this. So anyway, I could say a lot more, but but those are the matters. Um, so that that have really gripped my heart and my spirit. Still got a lot to learn, uh, and uh, it it also, you know, the priority of love. Uh, uh, you know. Boy, there's all kinds of analogies we can be, build between the nation of Israel and the church. The nation of Israel got excited about, you know, walls falling down, people being subjugated. We get excited about souls. I'm not saying they didn't get excited about souls, but, but our victory is found in souls and, you know, uh, seeing Jesus in, in truth for sure, but grace and truth. We have the joy of being graceful, the joy of, of loving in an amazing way, bearing all believing all, hoping all, enduring all. 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up. We, we can certainly lose ourselves in knowledge all we want, several chapters, but there's a more excellent way, uh, and that's love, love, love. So that's really what discipling, I don't know about you, but requires. And it, it seems to be the activity that requires the kind of love that Jesus expects the church to exercise and experience herself. So yeah, so there, there's a lot more there, but that's for now. Um, I would like to maybe just pick up on Pastor Kent's last thought there about love and kind of, you know, as I, as I want to express my heart on disciple-making, I think, you know, I am largely a benefit, a beneficiary of Pastor Tim and other elders here. I, you know, I, this, this is, this church was my home church. I was born again here. You know, I left. For some reason you decided maybe, I think, there was an invite to come back, uh, as far as I recollect anyway. And, um, and uh, you know, I really began my pastoral ministry here underneath really already a beneficiary of, of a beginnings of a disciple-making culture. And um, so I want to maybe just express from my perspective, just the benefits that I see uh, as part of that culture here in this church, and obviously Pastor Tim's heart is we've got a ways to go, and and that's all of us, including him, including me, including Pastor Kent, but, um, you know, I was thinking through our, the, we're actually studying through Revelation in the youth group, um, we uh, truth be told, have only gotten into the second chapter. Actually, <laughs> we spent a long time in the first chapter, and um, there's so much there. But I appreciate Pastor's comments this morning, and I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, you know, when when Jesus says you've lost your first love, and um, and and the question, what is it really to disciple make? Um, you know, I think there's there's so many necessary first steps and sharing the gospel and relational realities. I think those are benefits that we uh, enjoy here. We enjoy re- relational witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there's nothing certainly wrong with knocking on a door and giving the gospel to a complete stranger, uh, but that that does seem to miss the mark quite a bit. Um, there may be some in this room that were born again or have seen people born again because of that very method, and there's certainly, again, nothing wrong with it. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to do to share the gospel. I'm not going to Here's a pun. Knock that. Okay, sorry. Um, but the reality is, 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 you know, I'm in it for the long haul with my neighbors, which means it's going to change the way I relate to my neighbors. That's going to change how often I get to cut my grass uninterrupted, frankly, as a guy who just wants to get the grass done. 
<laughs> you know, it's going to change uh, how I look at Jackson, my dog, just going wild and me getting to meet new neighbors because of that. You know, I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different things that, that I've got to adjust when, uh, when my focus really becomes, okay, we're not going to just meet as a church and go knock on the door and give the gospel. I'm going to actually live my life that way. That's a benef- I'm a beneficiary of that kind of thinking here. I'm a beneficiary of uh, the, the definition of, of discipleship, or at least the beginnings of it. And uh, I think an aspect of it would be in John 13, 34, 35, where Jesus himself says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then he goes on to say what? By this, all people, not just the church, all people will know that you're my disciples. How? That you love one another. This church is remarkable in that. You've loved me. You've loved my wife. My, my, my wife's father died uh, shortly after we came here. There are still things. All right. That you all have done. That I just will never forget. And you didn't even know her. You know, I mean, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, it's changed how I receive texts late at night. Frankly. You know, they're no longer, I, they, they, they are still sometimes an inconvenience. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to, right? But, but, uh, but my goodness. Right? I mean, people asking questions, people wanting to, you know, I used to respond, you know, go look at the, you know, or why can't they just look at the church website? It's all there. And then I find out that it's either not there or it's hard to get to or something like that, right? So we've got a long ways to go. And then I say, well, just look at Courtney's emails. <laughs> it is all there. Always. Right? But the fact of the matter is, no, so the body wants to know. Or, or the body wants to ask a question. So, so I have, I'm a beneficiary in how I need to love and, um, and need to change in that. So I really appreciate that. I think another text that just on, you know, automatically comes to my mind as a beneficiary is who I am as a man. Frankly, you know, when, when I sit down with someone and am trying to disciple them, that puts a really big accountability in who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, tremendous. You know, I'm sharing my heart one-on-one with somebody. And I'm encouraging them to change. Boy, I, I better have at least, uh, not arrived, but I better have at least struggled and, and committed to walking faithfully in that area. Because if not, you know, the Lord has a lot to say about that. Uh, so Paul, in second, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, But we were gentle among you, so that he was knowable. In chapter 1, he even says, you know, you, you knew us. And he says, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Okay, granted, this, this text really speaks to me in the early years still of, of child rearing and my wife being pregnant again. But I mean, that is a, that is a very tender, gentle necessary relationship. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to, here's it for me, share with you not only the gospel of God. So I'm not just going out and having coffee with somebody. You know, I mean, I think there are a lot of churches that call things discipleship. And Pastor Tim already said, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways discipling people look. You know, I I, the way I disciple is not the way Pastor Tim disciples. I'm not Pastor Tim. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. Right? But there are a couple non-negotiables in disciple making. And one of them is to be around God's word. To share with you not only the gospel of God. So that's key number one for me. Beneficiary. of I'm learning God's word way more as a pastor because I disciple, frankly. I mean, I'm learning it in, in the practical, yep. actual realities of life. I mean, I can study in seminary and think and be told all these high theological ideals. But when you're sitting across the table from somebody, and they're crying, and they don't know what to do, and, 
and just the Pandora's box of all these realities become real in the, in the legitimate struggles and burdens and weights. Boy, I don't just slam somebody with high lofty theological ideals. What? I, so I share the gospel with them. So it changes the way I learn and understand the gospel. And then Paul says a second thing, but also our own selves. Because you have become very dear to us. So I, I think Boy, as a, as a pastor in this culture, I have really become a beneficiary that I'm not just, my job is not just to study God's word and to give it and to hit repeat, but I have, a, I have an opportunity to model and you have an opportunity to model uh, sharing it ourselves. You know, that's, that's love, isn't it? I mean, you look at Paul and what he, what he means there, you know, sharing himself and and then that tender, becoming very dear relationship. So, I mean, there's a, and, you know, it does hurt, you know, when um, I look out across and I, you know, as elders, we pray about these relationships and we're burdened when, you know, sometimes they, they do fall apart, the relationship of the site. And it does when you open up yourself and you become very dear to somebody else uh, and then something happens that those are, those are. Those are hard things, but they're things that um, Jesus demonstrated himself that he that he lived through. You know, think of the twelve and the one. You know, and so anyway, so these are just some thoughts that immediately. Um, one of the things that, um, as we have worked it out here. In the context of church, one of the things that discipleship, disciple making has shown me about myself is that I have a, an idol that I've struggled with for much of my life and still do, and it's the idol of clean. Um, I like things nice and defined. So if you were uh, part of this morning's sermon or if you, you heard Pastor Tim preach and, and you know he, he rehearsed all of the, the things that we did as a church and do as a church and, and all of those, you know, whether it be men's prayer breakfast or, you know, you know, vacation Bible school or bus ministry or Christmas cantatas. I mean, as I was sitting listening to this, and, and I'm one who, you know, came here to Grace Church in 1988 at the age of 10, and I've been here ever since. And without exception, I did every one of those things. Um, and I don't say that like, wow, you're so great. I'm just saying I did that, and I liked doing that and doing those things because there's definition. There's, there's a, a role. There's something that, you know, you're told or you're asked to do something. And, hey, the, the beds need mulched. Okay, I'll be part of the work party. You know, men's prayer breakfast this Sunday or this Saturday. Oh, great, I'll be there. You know, choir, boom, no problem. And doing and doing and doing and doing. And really having the summation of my spiritual maturity and, and what it is my why is on the earth being, you know, I can actually quantify it. I mean, like, that's, that's who I am as a Christian. What disciple-making did was it took that apple cart and just kind of tipped it over. Um, because there's a sense to where, and I'll admit, I was a, a, a late bloomer when it came to the concept of disciple-making and seeing it actually play out. A late bloomer from the standpoint that I could find myself very comfortable but also very valuable in those things of busyness, and I could frankly, excuse myself from the role of disciple-making. Because I'm like Pastor Kent, you know, just there, you know what your strengths are, and sometimes you're well aware of what your weaknesses are, and man, that's their strengths. <laughs> that's not my strength. I'll teach. Give me, you know, something to teach. I'll get in front of a group and, and lay it out. Awesome. Put me in front of a choir or sing special music or, you know, whatever. You know, have a, a speaking part in a cantata or, you know, do a pancake breakfast to help lead a missions team, fine. You know, but sit down and talk with somebody, uh, believer or unbeliever. You know, and, and to do that, that, you're good at that. You take that. I'll take this. And disciple making just upset that. And good, in, in a good way, from the standpoint of 
as uh, you'll find, and, and you are finding here, from a disciple-making standpoint, um, God puts you in the lives of people that he wants you to touch, whether you like it or not. And when you start praying for him to make his will known to you, he actually does that. And, and makes your conscience sensitive to that, to where you have this oughtness inside of you. Like, we're blessed to have a pastor who has a high degree of evangelism when it comes to spiritual gifting. And growing up underneath that and seeing it in his father, recognizing that I didn't have that. And yet, as I'm praying about evangelism, God's putting these unbelievers in my life. While I was teaching at a Christian school and while I was working in a place at the summertime where I was with mostly Christians. I mean, I'm immersed in Christianity, for crying out loud. And these unbelievers kept coming into my life. And it's like this gong of, hey, are you going to say something? You know, and so that aspect of speaking to unbelievers, but then also understanding that disciple making is more than evangelism. That it's actually part of the maturation process of being a believer and coming alongside a believer and studying the Bible with a believer. In fact, the first, if you want to call them formal disciple-making relationships I had were with people who knew the Bible quite well. They're believers. And so as we studied, you know, to Pastor Steve's point, boy, you really learn and, and personalize your theology or what you believe about God and the Bible as you're talking with another person and you're, you're working it out. Sometimes it looked like crisis counseling, but more often than not, it looked like, all right, so in chapter four, we're talking about baptism and let's just kind of work through this. And, oh, you were, you know, a former Roman Catholic. How did you view baptism? And, whoa, I've never looked at it that way. And just now how rich my understanding of what it is the Bible says about this particular aspect of, of doctrine. And I wouldn't have understood that had I not been with another soul who's living out their Christian life. So I think to that part of it, it was discipleship, disciple-making was very unsettling for me. And at some level, it still kind of is because I like that clean, you know? One of the ways that I've had to really adjust personally is time. Not just time to disciple, but time that other people take to disciple. And I'd like them to be with me because, hey, we had a time commitment to meet or to, to do X, Y, and Z, and they're not there. Well, why not? They're coming. Well, they're connected with this person. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. Why are you always late? Why are you... Da, da, da. And coming to find out that they're actually talking to someone who's really excited about who they're discipling. And that just... It, it, doesn't, it doesn't dismiss structure, but I think it puts the concept of the trellis in its place. Does that make sense? Like if you're familiar with the whole metaphor of the trellis and the vine. The vine is the thing. The vine needs the trellis. You know, you, you're going to have a really poorly growing vine if you don't have that structure of the trellis. But a really nice trellis without any vine is, is you know, <laughs> a decoration piece. So, yeah. Comments or questions? And I'll just wrap up with a couple comments. So here's the deal. Here's how simple it is. Okay? Pardon? I saw his hand. I'm going to say this before Paul asks his question. I'll give this to you. All right. Disciple making is, is a double-edged sword, right? We can say, go and make disciples. Can we assume that the conversion's involved with that? Hmm? Right? Salvation. Go. I think you GLBI people question me on this. Um, I believe it's an aorist imperative. Make disciples. So it's a command. So the tip of the spear is an imperative. Two sides of that spear, go, evangelize, and then if someone's one, train them. Does everyone understand that? It's simple enough. Even you young ladies that wonderfully played this morning, Amen. I think you can understand that, right? We go and we share Jesus with people, and if they get saved, we have to be able to train them. But what we understand is it's not just the pastor's or the teacher's job to train them, it's your job. Okay? Our job is to equip you with materials to train them. Are you with me? Are we good? And what, what we're going to find out next Sunday morning 
is that that relationship is a lifelong relationship. I'm, we're gonna just gonna we're just gonna go through the scriptures and go through the history, and we'll come up to our. Right? How many? I don't know. Jesus is the creator of the universe, and he had twelve, well, eleven that were his faithful band. Obviously, at the day of his ascension, we're assuming there's around 500 and some. And he was the creator of the universe. I don't think it's a numbers thing. Apparently, when Jesus spoke to the angel of the church of Ephesus, he was just concerned about obeying. He was concerned about obeying. He's the God of the results. So if you win one, you train one. For how long? For life. If you win two, you train two. For how long? For life. If you win three, you train three. For how long? For life. So what we wanted to do is here just give you time to do that. That's why we opened up Sunday School Wednesday night and Sunday night pre-pandemic. A lot of you continued before you started before the pandemic on through it out here in the lobby, right? Remember those phases we went through? And then we have this pamphlet. There's, a, there's, there's even a little board out there that says, your disciple making life on it. You know, have you seen that? You've walked past it several times a week. And inside there's a pamphlet. Some of you might have it in your Bible. What's in that pamphlet? So if I work with Ryan DeMint, let's say that we're both managers at uh, Planet Fitness, right? As buff as we are. And, and uh, I, I work with him for seven years before God finally opens up his eyes and he sees the gospel. Then my pastor, praise God for that, right? I want a co-worker to Christ after seven years. Then my pastor's provided for me what I'm going to study with him for the rest of my life. And then not just resources, but the time. Pastors are so used to this three or four service a week regimen without flexibility, we come and we just learn, learn, learn instead of doing the Great Commission. So we're just carving out time when you're already here where I could sit on a Wednesday night, a Sunday school, a Sunday night, and I can teach him the word, whatsoever things I have commanded. That's it. I mean, I know I don't want to sound, sound too simple and mundane, Right? It's messy, it's slow, it's hard, because Ryan, after six months, can get up and say, ah, I'll walk away, and you wonder, did he ever get saved? Da, da, da. Said, no, he's probably just struggling, and he can come back, and he can go away, and he can come back, and he can go away, and he can come back, Christ and his disciples. <laughs> right? It's a, glorious, it's a glorious agony. It's everyone learning to shepherd someone, even though you don't have a pastor-teacher gift. That's our job. And that's hard. And it doesn't look like the cookie-cut church that, as Pastor Mike said, it all good. It turned the apple cart over for me. But we're trying to provide time for you to do that. You say, I haven't won someone to Christ yet. That's okay. We're trying to connect you with someone to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded until you do win someone to Christ. Are you with me? So I can attach Jeff to another believer in the church. Neither one of them has led someone to Christ maybe in their lifetime. And they get together. And every time they get together to study, what do they want to do? I want to pray for my lost friends. And then we're going to dig into the word. And we're going to shepherd each other. Jeff wins one of those friends to Christ. What's his responsibility? Train him. What does he do with the dude that he's already studying with that's already saved that hasn't won someone to Christ? Bring them along with them. Meet on another time during the week when we've provided for you to study with him so you can continue to shepherd the new guy. Creatively, just trying to be the tip of the spear. For me as a pastor, as I stand before the Lord someday, um, our, our burden is just to have everyone own the tip of the spear and be the tip of the spear while we do all these other necessary uh, things as a church. Okay? That's the purpose for the pamphlet. It's just, it's just resources about God's word. It's systematized God's word. Nothing's ever going to replace your reading of God's word. I said this morning, 12 minutes a day, you get the whole Bible done in a year. Nothing ever displaces that. But in addition to the Bible, we've always had systematized truth about the Bible in these resources in GLBI and Sunday school and Bible studies and so forth. That's all this is. And it's from milk to meet and everything in between. If you go through that pamphlet, 
pretty much everything. God's given us power into all things, life and godliness. It's about life and godliness. You say, well, I've got through the foundation with someone, got through the walk with someone. I thought we were done. No, there's a whole pamphlet. Well, what if I want to go study something else? That's fine. Let us know what the resource is so that we can put it in the pamphlet if it's that good. So we can study together. There's flexibility in here. No one's lording over you in this regard. We want to build the resource catalog so that we can continue to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded us. Those are just example resources through there. So yes, right? How do we do this? Jude, Miriam, disciple. They go through foundations. They go through the walk. They're both members. What's the next resource? It's Hunter's book on prayer. Fantastic book on prayer. Study prayer together. And then there's disciple-making resources. The trellis and the vine is in there. Theodore Imes' book is in there, right? We have a hermeneutics little study called Simply Blessed. That's one of many. You can learn a little bit of hermeneutics in there. But then there's a third arrow in that pamphlet. And it talks about time management. Whole life stewardship. It talks about moral purity. Stuff that you can study on a biblical worldview. What is worldliness? How do I make sure that my, my obsession's holiness and not worldliness? And you're walking each other through that. You say, well, how often do you meet? You don't have to meet every week. The first foundations and the walk is set to met once a week when you get into that second arrow it's like once a month when you get into the materials of that third arrow it's like once a quarter it's not something that you know what i'm saying that you've got to be unless you want i think ben's been meeting with jim for once a week and maybe they'll do that till jesus comes. that's their prerogative they're welcome to do that but the pamphlet's not set up where you have to do that because you're assuming as they're growing they might be winning someone else and they might need some time to go back and spend every week with that person. Are you with me? Okay. So that's our way. We're not the way, we're a way. That's our way of trying to equip you to be the tip of the spear in this aspect of ministry. Okay? And it's slow, but it's necessary. Paul. I, I forget. Okay. <laughs> yes, it worked. No, I was going to say, I got, I got saved in 81, and I've been in a handful of churches since then. I was 21 years old then, and I would look at this verse, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And I understood that through the churches I was in as witnessing, like go witness, go witness, go witness, which is what we... A bunch of the churches, we would go door to door and we'd come up with clever ways to, you know, if you would die today or whatever the, the thing was, and there were different programs. And, and as I was reading this over the years, you know, I appreciate the angle we're taking here, and that's, you know, to make disciples is not witnessing to people. I mean, that's part of it. That's the beginning. Someone's got to get saved first. But then that, that's not making a disciple. That's like the guy doesn't know anything. You know, the day he gets saved, he doesn't, if that's the end, that's not a disciple. You know, he's, so anyway, so that's what all this is. is, is, is uh, there's, all, there's a lot to making a disciple. There's so much to learn. And you can learn that by coming to church, which you should want to. I wanted to when I got saved, and I learned lots of stuff, you know. But if, if to make a disciple is much more, in my mind, like, and that's what we're saying, is it's much more focused. And I, I just appreciate that. It's more than just witnessing. That's just the start. You know, it's right. like, now what? You know, it's discipleship's the now what. And I had a, a question, and it was just a quick, almost an administrative-ish kind of one. The Foundations books, Chris Anderson wrote those? Or did we write those? And we, was he commissioned to write them? Or I'm just curious how the beginning of the Foundations books. So when he was on staff, we, this is all coming to... Originally, we had found nine lessons from a church in Missouri. And when we were trying to figure this out almost 20 years ago, we brought those nine lessons back, and we studied those first. But then they had some theological differences, and we thought we could polish those up a little bit. So we as a staff came up with the 12 topics of the lessons together, right? And um, after we came up with the 12 topics of the lessons together, salvation, <coughs> be saved first, go through, um, Pastor Chris took one and, and, and gave an order to each lesson, right? Presented those to us, and then each one had, every pastor edited each lesson. 
added to, took away, added to, right? And then we put out the first volume, and I think it's in its eighth edition now or something like that. Um, so that's really how it started. And then we thought, you know what? It's whole life to life for life. Let's provide some more material. So we added the walk. And then it's like, oh, wow. It's whole life to life for life. I've got to shepherd Ryan for the rest of my life. I want him to Christ. It's not Pastor Mike's job to be his primary shepherd. It's mine. And I'm not a pastor teacher. But I've got to have this resource. So we started to put together material for life. It's us equipping the saints to do that work of the ministry. Every joint supplying Ephesians 4 says. Okay? And so that was the origin of the foundations, but that was also, foundations was the birth of the rest of us feeling obligated to provide for people food to eat together as they grew each other and one more people. Okay. I was going to say those books are wonderful for a, you know, as a, as a believer and if just out of the blue, you know, one of you would come up and say, how about you disciple person X, Y, Z, you know, just like, where, where do you start? What do you say? You know, it's like those books give you what to do. You yeah. go through it and it just makes it yeah. f almost fear free. If you're a fearful person, like, what do I tell this person? You know, do you bounce around through the Bible? Where do you, you know, and those, those books make it safe and easy if anyone here is afraid to do it it's like the books make it easy amen i think for this group tonight and i, I hope this recording can be sent uh, to everyone that wasn't able to make it tonight because I, the whole body needs to continually know so they can embrace what this reality is i'm describing in, in, the, in the example of me and ryan demand right um that that's not a program that that's actually obeying the imperative of the Great Commission. And that's our way of doing it. Right? So it's not, it's hard. It's not boring. It's always exciting. But that's our way of obeying. So you say that, why are we doing this discipleship thing? It's just grace is known as the discipleship church. I, to be honest with you folks, bunk on all that. We're just obeying. <laughs> I don't want to have this niche of being the discipleship church. All right? That's just what Jesus asked all of us to be is disciple-making people, and certainly that's not bunk. And we're just trying to figure it out. But we need your help to figure it out because it's always a growing experience. We don't know it all. We don't have it all. We need your help, and so many of you are helping. Um, that pamphlet, that roadmap, is going to have all kinds of resources. It's going to be added to it all the time. We're making a digital resource library now where the person that you're shepherding with, you can get on that digital and look at all the resources on a particular topic. You know, um, but we'd like for you to stay on track for this group. We'd like for you to stay on track in that pamphlet through those resources. There's a growth pattern there. Right? If you're on Hunter's book on prayer or you're on, you know, Colin and Marshall and Payne's uh, disciple-making book, Trellis and the Vine, and someone that you're discipling starts to struggle with gambling again, that they used to be a perpetual sin in their life before they got saved, you can jump forward to resources in the next arrow and spend some time talking about that. And then jump back to Trellis and the Vine. The whole thing's made to be able to jump back and forth to where you can help minister to the needs of the person that you're shepherding. Right? Pastor, can I just make a real quick comment to that? Yep. That's what differentiates it between, say, those of you who are in education, a curriculum, yep. where you, you have these curricular-like stops or mile markers along the way. There's actually a person that you're discipling, and that person is unique. And what it is that as you study God's word and get to know them, you're finding that, hey, this is a strength or this is a weakness or this is an area where we just need to hunker down. And there is, if I can put it this way, an individual soul liberty that you as saints ought to have in as you're discipling, like, where do we need to just, you know, really kind of settle here for a while? Um, maybe not forever. But again, that's a pathway is just that. It's a pathway. There's some guidance to it. There's some wisdom behind it that, that, that when you see that pathway, that's actually the collection of not just pastoral input, but congregational input. In fact, many, if not most of those resources that are there are congregationally suggested. 
not just kind of ginned up by us, but in light of that, you know, looking through that, if, maybe if I can put it this way, if, if the God allows for you to lead, say, two, three people to the Lord, I can pretty much guarantee that the scope of their life as they're learning doctrine, it's not going to be like first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. You know, like it would be for a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old. In first grade, we learn writing. In second grade, we learn da-da. Well, as you're discipling one person, you're working through this, you're going to see things that, you know, maybe they're just really needing more help on than, say, the other person that you've discipled in the past. Boy, they're sure, they sure are different than this other. Well, yeah, because they're different. And that's okay. And so just kind of echoing that point of, of just there is an element of individual soul liberty and in that it's not, it's a guide, but it's not like a cookie cut. So, that's so uh, you folks uh, in the congregation have just added, we're going to throw it up here on the screen, uh, we add new resources on a regular basis, right? This is a resource that you folks worked on that you felt was necessary. So again, me and Ryan, right? Ryan and I have gotten through the foundations and the walk. We've been, it took us five years to get through those two books, and we've been meeting every Wednesday night for five years. Now we're moving into that second arrow, and Ryan, hey, look, I love you. It's been great every week. If you want to continue every week, we can, but how about if we back off to once a month? All right, because he's doing well, he's serving, maybe he's led somebody else to the Lord. He needs to meet with once a week. We're going to meet once a month. We're going to start reading through Colin Payne Marshall. All this stuff, and we're going to go and keep learning, keep learning, keep maturing. Ryan says, you know what? God forbid, my mom suddenly passed away, and, and Pastor T, he, he's mourning his mom's loss, and, and he's, he's totally devastated. And, and, and one of the aspects was of his mom's loss was she, she wasn't prepared to die. She had no will. She had no power of attorney. She had nothing. And Ryan stuck as the executor of nothing. What do you do? Right? And he goes, I don't want to be my mom. Right? So a group of folks got together in the church and they said, hey, look, how can we teach Tim to teach Ryan how to be prepared for end-of-life stuff? My goodness, how many people... In the last 22 months, Pastor Mike threw up over 40 just in direct relationship to our own church, right? Uh, death's an inevitable reality for all of us. And, and the Bible says a wise man sees the evil afar off and he prepares for it. So our desire wasn't to have a big old seminar where you could come and learn from the professionals how to prepare yourself for the end of life situations, all right? Hold on just a sec. Everyone's eyes just went up there. Maybe better than falling snow, right? <laughs> um, so our desire wasn't to have another conference, another seminar to come in and, 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 and appeal to you on how to get your end-of-life stuff straight. Our desire was to equip you to equip each other to be prepared. All things pertaining to life and to godliness in simple, practical ways, right? So... We have a, a very, very thick book. It's called Bridges Material. And the reason why we called it Bridges, of stuff that you've put together, is because about going moving from one phase of life to the next. You cross this bridge, and you live on another life island for a little bit, and you have certain things that happen in that time of your life, and then you get on a bridge and go to the next phase of life. About every decade of life, there's a different life island where you experience different things. And so uh, the material in here is... is Time, talent, treasure, stewardship. Our idea is not to just to constantly teach you this, but for you to be able to sit down and teach somebody else this. All biblically principled. It's a big comfort. Young people, young adults, married or not, this is material that you could sit down with your discipler and go through. And it's been put together by Christians put together by a former pastor actually it's got a tremendous gift of administration we were able to connect with a resource that you folks told us about called GiftWise, and it's just all about uh, spirit-filled end-of-life planning and i like it because it gives me the opportunity in my end-of-life documents 
to be able to give to gift the tip of the spear. So I can do my will on here. I can do my power of attorney. I can do financial power of attorney, durable power of attorney, physical whatever. And I can I can I can I can actually in here. Um, leave part of what the resources God gave to me to the tip of the spear of the next generation of Grace Church of Mentor. You don't have to do that. I liked it because it gives us the opportunity to at least pray about that and think about that. Right? This is the landing page that's actually live now, I believe. Right? Alkheim, uh, would you stand in case people don't know you? Um, Alkheim, Nick Master Petro up here. I think everyone knows Harry. You can stand, Nick. Um, Harry, you can stand. Um, uh, these are the folks who were given resources by you that collated all these resources and put it to work. There's been thousands of man hours. Is that, is that correct to say? Not hundreds. Over five years, 60 months of man hours of resources that you've poured into them that they've collated and put together and even stood up a web page for. If you want to know anything about this aspect of our pathway, right? Because I'm going to do it. I've got a lot of things set up for the end of my life, but not as good as it is on here. So I'm going to be doing this. Okay? We just became empty nesters. Our life changed. I'm on another island now. <laughs> I just crossed a bridge to another island, and I don't know that I'm prepared to be on that island yet. So I'm going to get prepared for this one. I'm going to get prepared for the next one. Okay, you, fell, you fellows may be seated. If you have any questions, these guys will stay around here tonight. If you want to ask them about that, and you can visit this landing page. Uh, it's, just, it's just full of phenomenal quality material. And it's so easy. It's so easy to do. There's videos, documents. All kinds of wonderful things. You, you, could, you could take three evenings just to go through all this material and listen and read and study, but then just, just, then just do. Okay? Um, anyways, all of my end-of-life things are not on here, but I'm moving towards here because I like being able to gift the tip of the spear for the next generation. If we're going to preach and teach and live disciple-making, I want to be able to give to your efforts of disciple-making and your, the next generation's efforts of disciple-making at the end of my life. That's why I'm moving to this. Okay. But that's here. We're going to close tonight. These men will stay behind. This is here. We're going to add this to our map. Right? Any final questions or comments as to what disciple-making is here? We're going to, again, review the theology of it next week. But as other people talk around you and chirp about it around you, what is this? Why are we doing this? What is this? Why are we doing this? Right? Caleb has a relationship with Tristan from high school. Tristan gets saved. Caleb disciples Tristan. The whole goal is for Tristan to win someone to Christ so he can do with them what Caleb's doing with him. Right? They, meet from, they go from once a week to maybe once a month to once a quarter to once in a while. But they always have resources in this pathway and they know what they're going to study next as they're automatically studying the Bible because that's priority, right? Are you with me? Right? So that's the purpose for the pathway. It's just not a gospel tract sitting out there. This is, this is what we do as we grow together, always wanting more material. Tony, last comment. How do you do that? How do you love one another? How do, how do you bear one another's burdens? How do you meet the physical needs? Well, you're not going to do that until you get to know somebody and know them on an intimate level. And I always just think of Pilgrim's Progress. It's you're, you're walking with somebody through the Christian life, ups and downs and studying the Bible and, and different seasons of life. And I just so appreciate you men. I, I, this is just... Yeah, I, I just, I'm ecstatic because this is, we, we've taught Ephesians 4, but this is really what it means. You're, you're teaching us 
to do the work of the ministry, which is shepherding one another. So I'm just, I just wanted to say thank you, because I, I think just, you, you've clarified this just immensely tonight. So just, just wanted to say thank you for that. Praise God. Well, that's comforting coming from one of the GLBI directors. Right? <laughs> you get an A. <laughs> get an A. All right. Folks, there are a lot of you in here that are doing this very passionately, and you, and you know who you are. I could spend the rest of the night just talking about what a blessing that you folks are to one another. And, and out of that disciple making becomes, comes very intimate care. I just think about the hearts with the burnt hearts and the little loss of Noah. Out of that disciple, out of observing all things whatsoever I've commanded you was real life on life for life. Because the life on life for life is just not over the study of the word. It's actually living life together. That's, that's, that's a significant part of the tip of the spear. I go into situations where I watch you folks loving on the people that you disciple in very real life situations and you just weep. You just weep. It's not just getting together and studying. If you're going to observe, that word observe means learning and doing. You're going to learn and you're going to do life together. That's hard and it's glorious. But how deep and wide that is, right? Um, you say, I've tried 10 different people to disciple, and they all walked away. Yep. Don't quit. We'll give you somebody else until you lead someone to Christ. <laughs> and start with them. Right? Start with them. That's all we know to do. If you've got more spirit-filled, creative ways to do this, we want to hear them. Right? We want to learn from you all the time how we can do those first things, which were Christ's. Last words in the form of a command. Okay? All right. Love you all. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll let you go. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity we had just to rehearse tonight that which we've been talking about for 18 to 20 years. Maybe we'll need to do this again, Lord, and not wait so long to do it. Whatever we do, Lord, we want to do your will your way. And we need to do that together. This needs to be a family effort. So thankful, Lord, for what you have taught us. We beg you to continue to give us wisdom so that we can know what it means to make disciples right here in our own church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. We love you all. You are dismissed. Thanks for being here tonight. Hey, we're going to have that emphasis on prayer in February. So you've got the little bookmarks that you were handed on the way in. That's our ministry schedule. Uh, so the second Sunday night in February, we're going to have a, a concentrated effort on prayer. And then we'll have a big old pizza fellowship to follow. Okay? Lord bless you. You are dismissed. Come and talk to Harry and Al and Nick if you have any questions about the GiftWise material and our new discipleship application.